Welcome to Quick Consult, the podcast that addresses the questions you were most likely to ask or should ask in a consultation with an estate planning attorney. Welcome to Quick Consult. I'm your host, Sarah Josie, an estate planning attorney licensed to practice law in Virginia, North Carolina. Let's jump right into today's question. I heard about pet trust. Is this a real thing? How do I plan for my pets? Yes, pet trusts are a real thing and they're actually pretty common. It is also really common for people to forget about their pets when they're doing their planning. They always think, oh, I know my daughter will take my dog or I know my neighbor will step in and help with my cat. But I always question that. Are you sure? Have you had the conversation with this person that you're volunteering for this job? Do they really care about your pets as much as you do? Uh, What happens if that person dies uh, before you do? Or what if you guys die simultaneously? Uh, What's going to happen then? If you don't have a specific plan in place where you're nominating specific individuals uh, in a legal document, then you could really be leaving your pet in a very tough spot. So just to demonstrate this point a little bit more um, and to demonstrate how big of an issue this really is, uh, if you visit secondchanceforpets.org, you'll see this fact that over 500,000 pets end up in shelters each year because of their owner's disability or death. Uh, So you know it's it's a very common issue uh, and something that uh, people just don't think about. They don't think about planning for their pets. So it's Also very important to realize that you need to plan not just for if you were to die, but what happens if you become disabled. You don't want your dog, cat, or whatever pet you may have to end up on one of those depressing uh, SBCA commercials that's playing Sarah McLaughlin in the background, that song in the arms of the angels. I don't know about you, but it makes me tear up every time. Um, so we don't want your pet to end up on one of those commercials. So how do we how do we prevent that? So let's look first as to how to prepare for your disability. Who's going to care for your pet if you're hospitalized or unable to get home for weeks on end due to illness or injury? Uh, does anyone have access to your house? Who's going to feed them? Who's going to walk them, care that, care for them, play with them? Who's going to buy them food? Uh, what if they need to go to the vet? Who's taking care of all of those issues? So fortunately, all of those issues that I just mentioned can be addressed in a carefully drafted pet trust. And the beauty of the pet trust, as with any revocable trust, is that it can address this incapacity planning piece in addition to the death planning piece. So you can take care of both of those issues in one document. You can be very detailed in your revocable trust and nominate individuals who are going to take care of these various chores. Um, The trust is going to allow access to your uh, trust assets to pay for your pet's care. And it's also going to allow a way for these individuals who are stepping in to, to help you out for them to be compensated for their time in caring for your pet. So it's really a, a great tool to use. It's a good idea to name at least two individuals so you can have a primary. And then if that primary is unable to serve for any reason, choosing or having an alternate available as a backup. You're going to want to choose someone who would likely be notified of your accident or illness 
and that way they know that they need to step in and start acting uh, to care for for your pet. So ideally, this is a family member or a very close friend who you know uh, will be notified that you've been in an accident um, or that something's happened that's going to keep you from, from coming home for days or weeks on end. This nominated trustee should also have a key to your home or apartment um, or the code to your garage door, whatever it is, some way of entering your home in this emergency situation. Hopefully your illness or injury is temporary, but these trusts also can accommodate situations where you have um, you know, a permanent or a long-time illness illness. So it doesn't matter if you're out for two days or if you're out for months or years, the trust should be set up in such a way that all of these issues are addressed on a long-term basis. If for whatever reason you don't want to establish a pet trust, you feel like it's too complicated for you, uh, do you have any other options for disability planning? Yes, you do. Uh, You can address your pets in your general power of attorney. So you should have a general power of attorney anyway um, for your disability planning. Um, So that's a conversation for another time. But specifically within that general power of attorney, you can have a paragraph regarding pets. Um, And that paragraph should authorize your agent to be able to access your bank account um, if necessary to withdraw money to care for your pet um, and to also authorize any sort of veterinarian care that's required as well. That being said, the um, power of attorney is not going to be as comprehensive as a pet trust. So if you're really looking for a more comprehensive plan, then the pet trust is the way that you're going to want to go to plan for your disability. So we've talked about um, disability planning. Let's also talk about uh, your death planning. So death planning, this deals with all of the same issues that arise with your disability, but obviously now we're dealing with it on a permanent basis. So when we're drafting these pet trusts, you can have a more simplified version or you can have a very complex pet trust. Looking at a more comprehensive, complex plan, what you're, the players that are typically involved here are going to be a caregiver, a trustee, and a person known as an enforcer. So let's dive into those terms a little bit more closely. The caregiver is the person who is going to handle the pet's care day in and day out. So for example, if you have a dog, this person would walk the dog, feed the dog, play with the dog, etc. Ideally, in the same manner as you would have done, um, would you be living? The trustee is the person who manages the money. Distributions are made for the pet's food, veterinarian care, grooming, new toys, you know, things of that nature. The amounts of the distributions, the type of food purchased, the type of toys, you can get into all of those details. Um, You can leave it very broadly worded um, if it's not that important to you, or you could be very specific. So if you have a cat and this cat eats Fancy Feast day in and day out, and you want your feline friend to continue on the Fancy Feast diet regardless of the cost, you can put that in your pet trust, um, and that will be the diet that your cat remains on. You can also name another party to this um, agreement and that is a person known as an enforcer. The enforcer is the person who does surprise visits on the caregiver to ensure the pet is actually being cared for. Um, This is typically a vet or someone who knows how to understand whether or not a pet is being properly cared for. 
uh, the amount of the vis the visits, frequency, all of that, you can you can put those details um, in in the trust. Your trustee and caregiver can be the same person, uh, but the enforcer should be independent from the caregiver and trustee. It's important to note that all three of these roles require compensation. So it's important that if you are creating a more complex pet trust, you are funding it appropriately to consider payment to all of the fiduciaries and payment for the cost of the pet or various pets. You can also choose to leave a much simpler pet trust or even just a direct distribution outside of trust for the care of your pet. For example, you can say, I give $10,000 to the caregiver of my pet and I do not require my trustee to ensure the funds are actually used for the care of my pet. So by using language such as this, you're essentially saying, you know, here's my cat, here's $10,000 for the care, and that's it. My trustee's done. They don't have to follow up anymore. I trust that you're going to use this money for the care of my pet. Um, if my pet dies, then the rest of it's just as a thank you to you um, for agreeing to take on the care of my pet, you know, whatever your goals are. The obvious downside to this is that the caregiver could accept the pet and the money and turn around and have the pet euthanized or put the pet in a shelter. So if you go with a simpler plan, like a direct distribution, you need to choose a caregiver very, very carefully, and ideally in, you know, include a few backups as well. How complex the pet trust is really depends on, again, your unique goals for the pet, the size of your estate, and you're gonna need to work on these details with your estate planning attorney. A very common question is, how much should I leave for my pet um, in my pet trust? And again, just as I noted, this is going to depend on your goals. It's going to depend on the size of your estate. And it's also going to depend on the identity of your other beneficiaries. If you have children, for example, you may not want to leave the bulk of your estate to Fido. Or maybe you do, uh, just depending on that relationship with those beneficiaries. Either way, something to note here is that in some states, you can leave too much inheritance to a pet trust, and if that happens, the bequest or gift may not be honored by the court or may be reduced in favor of inheriting your other beneficiaries. Under North Carolina law, for example, you are permitted to leave a reasonable amount to provide for the care and lifestyle to which your pet is accustomed for the rest of the pet's life. So those terms are, again, broad in their definition. If you, uh, on, you know, on a regular basis, are spending large sum of money, uh, sums of money on your pet, then the court is going to allow that to continue to happen. But of course, everything has its limits. Um, and if you leave an amount that substantially exceeds the amount required uh, to care for your pet and it's in the manner that it's in custom, then the clerk of court does have the power to reduce that gift. Um, to uh, otherwise inherit your other beneficiaries. There's quite a few celebrity examples of pet trust that you can Google in your free time, but a good example of a court becoming involved and in reducing the size of the gift for the pet's benefit is between Leona Helmsley and her dog Trouble. So Helmsley was a hotel heiress and she disinherited her family and left her $12 million estate to her dog Trouble. Long story short, and of no surprise, her family did not like that. They petitioned the court to change the bequest, and they were successful. The court ended up reducing 
the sum of the gift from $12 million down to $2 million. So you do need to check with your specific state what their rules are uh, to ensure that your gift is not going to be reduced in a similar manner. A final tip here is to be careful of who your alternate beneficiaries may be. If your children are the caregivers, for example, and they know that upon the death of your pet, they will inherit the remainder in trust, they may not be the most careful of caregivers. So just sometimes it's a good idea to say, oh, I'm going to leave, you know, a million dollars to my dog or my cat or, or whatever it is. Um, make sure that when that dog or cat passes away, uh, whoever is inheriting maybe isn't the caregiver or even better, maybe is a charity. Um, something so that there's no one who would be incentivized to bring action in court to try to reduce the gift or would be incentivized to euthanize your pet. Um, so, there, so that's something, again, for you to discuss with your estate planning attorney to see what makes the most sense for your plan. I hope you find these tips helpful and that it gives you some good questions to ask your estate planning attorney. Until next time, I'm Sarah Josie, wishing you and your family and pets all the best wishes and health and of course, the best planning. Thanks for listening. For more information, visit selectlawpartners.com. The information in this episode is provided for general informational purposes only and may not reflect the current law in your jurisdiction. You understand that there is no attorney-client relationship between you and the host or any select law partner's attorneys. No information contained in this episode should be construed as legal advice from the host or select law partners, nor is it intended to be a substitute for legal counsel on any subject matter.